Dear friends in Christ, on this most holy night in which our Lord Jesus passed over from death to life, the church invites her members dispersed throughout the world to gather in vigil and prayer. For this is the Passover of the Lord, in which by hearing his word and celebrating his sacraments, we share in his victory over death. Welcome to the BCP and Me, the podcast that explores the Book of Common Prayer as a manual for living out our lives. My name is Father Tyler Richards, and I am joined here with Father Joshua Nelson as we continue our exploration of the liturgy for the Triduum. And we begin our exploration of the great vigil of Easter, Christianity's most holy night. Good afternoon, Father Joshua. Hello, Father Tyler. I've been so waiting for this episode with bated breath and terror. <laughs> you know, a little bit of holy terror when it comes to this is helpful. I mean, yeah. you, you and I were just talking before we started the actual recording that we come in, we make a plan, we get ready to go, and then all heaven breaks loose and everything is just higgledy-piggledy on our ends sometimes. So, uh, Who knew that higgledy-piggledy was speaking in tongues? Well, I mean, <laughs> there are worse expressions you could have picked for that, but um, this is how we know. This is how we know the Holy Spirit is from south of the Mason-Dixon line, y'all. Indeed, indeed. At least I didn't go and say something like "my stars and garters." Um, but there we are. We don't want to talk about my garters. They're neither here nor there. Yep. Um, but we digress. So here we are, uh, having come through Monday, Thursday, having come through Good Friday, having tiptoed through the garden on Easter Sun or on the morning of Holy Saturday. And now, uh, our eyes behold the Vesper light as the sun is beginning to sink below the horizon. Well, let's, let's make a point to this. Um, there are actually two options, really, when doing the Great Vigil. The main point being it should be dark, right? But you can start Saturday night at sunset or early, early Sunday morning so that when you get to the Eucharist, the first Eucharist of Easter, it is dawn. What we in the evangelical tradition used to call our sunrise service, right? <laughs> Why do we have to go to church at 6 a.m.? Um, but uh, we do have this tradition of starting the night before in relation to our Jewish brothers and sisters. And that in that tradition and in scriptural tradition, the new day begins with sunset. Sabbath begins with sunset. So we and can begin. So, and so the eighth day of creation begins with sunset. sunset. Yes. The first day of the new creation. And so we, we gather together around our holy hibachis, uh, our, our also blessed... Known as, also known as braziers. <laughs> <laughs> braziers if you want to use the uh the uh correct term i like holy hibachi myself where we or an altar guild member or perhaps one of our 
parish members who has a particular proclivity for pyrotechnics. Usually as put, your teenagers. Usually teenagers <laughs> are involved. Has put together a, a collection of kindling and tinder and hopefully no surprises like firecrackers or anything like that in the Easter fire. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we gather around and we actually do start the fire. Yeah, we, we can't sing that song, can we? can't sing that song because we actually did start the fire. And, and we have this wonderful prayer that goes over the fire. You know, these are, truly speaking, the great elements of our life, of humanity being earth, wind, fire. We're not going to get into that either. And water, which we'll see later. But... We begin with fire, and the prayer goes as this. Let us pray. O God, through your Son, you have bestowed upon your people the brightness of your light. Sanctify this new fire, and grant that in this Paschal feast, we may so burn with heavenly desires that with pure minds we may attain to the festival of everlasting light. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. So go ahead. I have a question, Father Tyler. I might have an answer, Father Joshua. If you don't, I do. Uh, What does Paschal mean? Paschal comes from the Greek word Pascha, which points us back. So the word Paschal comes from the Greek Pascha, which points us back to the Hebrew Pesach, which is actually the word that our Jewish sisters and brothers use to refer to their own Passover. And so here with the Pesach or the Paschal candle, we begin to contemplate what is sometimes called, although I'm not sure I'm really comfortable with the appropriation, the Christian Passover, um, the Paschal candle, as as some of you will remember, is the is the great pillar candle that comes out at the Easter vigil. It also burns at all baptisms. It burns throughout the fifty days of Easter, um, and is a sign of our baptism. It is a sign of resurrection. Um, it is also meant to symbolize the pillar of fire by night and the pillar of cloud by day that we see in the Jewish Passover or the Jewish Exodus story as God is guiding um, the Hebrews before they cross over the Red Sea and become the people of Israel. But as, they, um, as they're journeying through the wilderness, we see this pillar of cloud and this pillar of fire journeying with the people. And so we have our own pillars present with us here in this moment of new creation, here in this moment of of Jesus passing over from death into life. And that pillar of flame leading us through that journey. Um, So as this service begins, because it is a service in darkness, it's really kind of just utilitarian, right, that we light a bunch of candles because (laughs) we need to see. Um, This became less necessary with the invention of electric lights, but uh, we've taken to 
appointing great meaning to it and seeing the light of Christ in it, as we'll see. This pillar candle, this large wax or oil candle, um, in some places may just be plain, in other places may be beautifully decorated. Uh, there is kind of a preparation that comes out of the Roman rites um, that you say prayers in preparing the new candle because it will have specific dates on it for uh, the new year, um, starting with tracing the vertical arm of the cross and saying Christ yesterday and today, tracing the horizontal arm of the cross, the beginning and the end. And there are two letters often found on it. They're Greek letters. They are the Alpha and the Omega, which we use as a uh, nomenclature and name for God in Christ, the beginning and the end. Tracing the first numerals of the year, so this coming year being 2022, all time belongs to him, belongs to the Alpha and Omega and all the ages. To him be glory and power through every age forever and ever. Now, this isn't something that is in the Book of Common Prayer, but it is practiced in a great many places as a way for us to um, really examine and understand the symbolism of this creature, this wax candle that we are carrying in, um, really showing us the light of Christ. And we're just really starting the first part of a four-part liturgical extravaganza. <laughs> yes. <laughs> honestly, like we've just built the fire. Uh, and, and we're, even beforehand, we do all of this preparation, this prayer, this sometimes anointing that happens with a Paschal candle. We do all this preparation with the fire as even prelude to moving into this service that is the first part of the Easter vigil um, that consists of four parts. The service of light, which is what we've been going on about. And then we move into another part of the vigil called the service of lessons. And then you move into the next part of Christian initiation or the renewal of baptismal vows. And then the fourth part of this vigil is the Holy Eucharist with the administration of Easter communion. So, you know, we've talked in the past about liturgies having a couple of different moving parts, but there is literally not a more complicated, more ancient service in our tradition than the Easter vigil. And I think, I think that becomes readily apparent when you start with something as primal and something as um, elemental as beginning with new fire. Because fire, go ahead. Well, being spe speaking of primal, um, I, you're probably going to say this. The next part that we're leading into is we are going to hear the stories of our salvation within the words of the exalted chant or the exalted prayer and the readings, the, the service of lessons. But we begin with story time, story sharing, and throughout all of our history as human beings, 
we are a people of, of stories, of sharing our legends and our myths and our stories. But where do those take place most often, Father Tyler? Where do you, what do you do to prepare to, to share the story anthropologically? Well, if you're going to do it the right way, you build a fire. You build a fire and you sit around the fire. That is where storytelling, story making happens. We can almost see the antecedents beginning to build on themselves about a, a nomadic Hasidic people in the desert as at the end of the day or at the beginning of the day, building the new fire and gathering the people around the new fire and beginning to tell the story again, beginning mm -hmm. to share the story of, of how it all went down. And remember, remember for decades, even centuries, um, even in our own time, the gospels were not even written down. They were, they came out of an oral tradition. Mm -hmm. So um, this is taking us back into the steps of our forebearers. And in a way that is akin to the Jewish, um, the Jewish tradition of the Passover, it's almost as if we come into the Easter vigil asking ourselves, what makes this night different from all other nights? I think even expanding beyond the Jewish Passover, which is, as we know, a, a little later uh, tradition, but every Friday night in the Sabbath preparation, the first thing that happens is candles are lighted. And the mother of the house prays the light into the room um, and welcomes the Sabbath that way. And we here are uh, welcoming the light of God as well. So, Father Joshua, what makes this night different from all other nights? So the next part, after we have lighted the fire and we are ready to um, enter into the darkness, and I will say this is the part that really got to me the first time I attended a uh, great vigil of Easter. It was at Church of the Ascension in Knoxville, Tennessee. So shout out to Church of the Ascension. Um, and you enter the nave where you have been for these other services. And on Palm Sunday, you entered with great rejoicing. And now you enter and none of the lights are on. You enter into cold stone and darkness um, because you are walking in to a tomb. Um, and, and we are literally walking into a tomb at this point. So that's what it represents for us. And the acolyte or the deacon um, processes in front of everybody else holding the candle and stopping three times up the aisle as we come to the altar and proclaiming the light of Christ. Thanks be to God. Step a little further, stop again. The light of Christ. Thanks be to God. Make our way to the altar. And one last time. The light of Christ. 
Thanks be to God. I didn't know there was going to be key changes. <laughs> there, there is key changes. And uh, that's one of the, the wonderful things. It is building this announcement, right? It is like a trumpet fanfare, the voice of here is the light of Christ. And you raise in pitch because you raise in excitement. Here is the light of Christ. Here yeah. is the light of Christ. Um, I mean, I, I had the wonderful opportunity to sing the exalted before I even considered going into the priesthood and going to seminary and then had the great honor of uh, being the deacon of the exalted in All Saints Chapel at Swanee my senior year, um, which I did barefoot, by the way, but that will come. That's another story that will come later. <laughs> <laughs> and once you get that excitement built up, uh, all the rest of the candles in the nave, none at the altar, but the rest in the nave are lighted. And um, if you're doing it right, everyone that has come behind you is holding their own candle that has been lighted from the Paschal candle, from that new fire. And as the deacon to walk into the darkness, all you see is what is right in front of you because you're holding the candle. Then you place it on its stand and turn around, and it is as if the night sky has turned upside down, and you are looking at the stars of heaven. And it's important to note here, if you do it right, that every single candle that is present inside of the place that is burning, that is being held by a person, is fire that has been captured from the Paschal candle. It is the same light. It is the same light. It is the same fire that we are all sharing. Yes. And that's even more potent um, as, we, as we meditate on what we're doing here. Um, so there are th three options in, um, and a shout out to uh, episcopaldeacons.org. Uh, if anybody is familiar with Orman Plater, he's a great deacon of the church. And this is the Orman Plater archive on EpiscopalDeacons.org, which we'll put on the website, I'm sure. And there are um, prayer resources, prayers of the people, but there are also musical resources. And there are three options for the exalted. There is an Ambrosian chant, uh, Beneventan chant, I hope I said that right, and the Roman chant. And um, today we're going to share the Roman version, the Roman chant of the exalted. So um, I invite you, you can turn to page 286 in the Book of Common Prayer and follow along with the words. Rejoice now, heavenly host and choirs of angels, and let your trumpet shout salvation. For the victory of our mighty King. Rejoice and sing now all you round earth, Bright with a glorious splendor. For darkness has been vanquished by our eternal King. Rejoice and be glad now, Mother Church, and let your holy courts in radiant light 
resound with the praises of our people. All you who stand near this marvellous and holy flame, pray with me to God the Almighty for the grace to sing the worthy praise of this great light. The Lord be with you, and also with you. Lift up your hearts, we lift them to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give him thanks and praise. It is truly right and good, always and everywhere, with our whole heart and mind and voice to praise you, the invisible, almighty and eternal God and your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. For he is the true Paschal Lamb, who at the feast of the Passover paid the debt for Adam's sin, and by his blood delivered your faithful people. This is the night when you brought your forebears, the children of Israel, out of bondage in Egypt, and led them through the Red Sea on dry land. This is the night when all who believe in Christ are delivered from the gloom of sin, and are restored to grace and holiness of life. This is the night when Christ broke the bonds of death and hell and rose victorious from the grave. How wonderful and beyond all-knowing our God is your mercy and loving kindness to us, that to redeem a slave you sent our Son. Ah, how holy is this night, when wickedness is put to flight, and sin is washed away. It restores innocence to the fallen, and joy to those who mourn. It casts out pride and hatred, and brings peace and concord. Ah, how blessed is this night, when earth and heaven are joined and we are reconciled with God. May it shine continually to drive away all darkness. 
May Christ, the morning star who knows no setting, find it ever burning, who gives his light to all creation, and who lives and reigns with you forever and ever. Amen. So the hymn that you just heard sung by Father Joshua, the Exalted, is one of the oldest hymns that we have in the church. And as far as our services are concerned, um, it dates to at least the Gallican sacramentaries, which are some of the first actually written down liturgies, liturgical rites that we have. They're younger than something like the Didache, which is actually a first century text, or the apostolic tradition, according to Hippolytus, that dates anywhere between the third and fourth centuries. But it still remains one of the oldest versions of the service that we have. The Exultant um, is this hymn in which the deacon calls upon all the company of heaven and then the creatures of earth and all members of the church to rejoice in the victory of Jesus. Um, the deacon or the person appointed to sing this, because it's not always a deacon who sings it, asks everyone that is there to join in prayer for the grace to sing the praise of the great light. The prayer follows the introductory gratias agamus, which is actually um, Latin, which means gracious light, and is reminiscent of a Eucharistic preface. You can almost hear it in the words when um, the person singing the exalted sings, it is truly right and good always and everywhere with our whole heart and mind and voice to praise you, the invisible, almighty, and eternal God, and your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's very much the way that our Eucharistic prayers, even in our current Book of Common Prayer, begin. You can even see this um, being almost manifest in Eucharistic Prayer D, which we will talk about in full when we get to the actual episodes on the Eucharist. Some of you have been chomping at the bit for us to actually talk about the Eucharist. Um, stay tuned. We'll get there. Um, we appreciate your, your um, fervor, but there is so much more in this book. <laughs> and we're only on page 286, and we've been at it for two seasons. Yeah, and there's, there's 900 and something, so... Um, I do want to offer heartfelt thanks to Father Joshua, who has returned back to the screen, having retrieved a glass of water <laughs> um, from after his beautiful rendition of the Exultet. Um, it's good to have a, a musical professional who is also a brother priest uh, available to sing the Exultet. I couldn't have done that justice. <laughs> I think here that is a, is a yeah, wow. Um, apparently, I need more water. I think here though is a good time to kind of share the story of when I was deeply honored to chant the Exalted at Swanee, mm. uh, the Chapel of the Apostles. Of course, or not the Chapel of the Apostles, All Saints Chapel. Yes, is. Uh, absolutely gorgeous and as Tyler, father tyler has said before he feels strange calling it a chapel um it is technically but 
Uh, it has all the Gothic grandeur of this great houses of worship in England. And, you know, the sound just reverberates and it's beautiful, especially when the lights are all out. And the night that I was prepared to go and do that, I was practicing beforehand and walking up the center aisle, uh, which is marble flooring, and my shoes squeaked with every step. Mm. <laughs> so I had to think of something, some way to, to fix this, because there's those pauses where I was talking, of course, tonight but, or today, but those pauses between each of the, the light of Christ, and it's just silence as you walk forward. So to have the light of Christ, thanks be to God, it just it lost some of its <laughs> sacred grandeur. Um, and the only way that I could remedy this was to take off my shoes and leave them in the choir, in the chancel, up in the choir loft um, until after the exalted, once I got to that point. But as I'm standing in the back, holding the Paschal candle next to the great right Reverend Neil Alexander, um, and the new fire is lighted and it just kind of shoots up in this tall pillar um, in the back of All Saints Chapel. And I'm standing before this pillar of fire barefoot and my mind is immediately taken to Moses. Moses, take off your shoes from where you stand for the ground on which you stand is holy ground. And with each step feeling the cold marble beneath my feet as my voice raised to the heavens. And there was this quite literal connection between heaven and earth within myself mm. that I could physically feel and notice. And it made it all that more palpable. Um, I'm surprised actually that I made it through the exalted that night without crying but it was this beautiful moment that you, we are kind of walking in the steps of our ancestors and the angels as we do this. And I think the other thing to point out for those who haven't had the opportunity to visit Swanee, who haven't had the opportunity to be inside of All Saints Chapel, is to point out that after the sun goes down and you're all gathered together inside of the nave of of all saints it's as black as pitch in there yeah it, it's this beautiful i mean google all saints chapel at swanee and look at this abbey church is essentially it's built in the abbey style of churches um and when you're gathered inside and the lights are down and the doors are shut it's as black as the tomb and then suddenly this pillar of fire leaps up in the midst of the darkness. And it's like the holy fire that, uh, that the monks have been experiencing at the tomb of Jesus in Jerusalem for centuries, where suddenly the paschal fire leaps up onto the candle. And then you have the sound of the crozier of the ninth bishop of Atlanta striding into the darkness as it strikes the marble floor and the lights begin to come up inside of the chapel. It's, it's breathtaking. Um, 
truly as, all of this. As we can, I think, kind of formulate a conclusion on this first of many episodes about the Great Vigil of Easter, um, this being the service of light, and, and the next we'll talk about the service of lessons, the, the liturgy of the word. Um, but let's talk about how this is done in Jerusalem, Father Tyler, at the edicule, at the, at the traditional tomb of Christ. So how does the service actually go in Jerusalem, Father Josh? Yeah, so, so as I said in the last episode, let us go to Jerusalem. And again, this is in what is known by two names, the Church of the Resurrection or the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And if you look at images of Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, what you are most likely to notice first is the golden dome of the Dome of the Rock, right? The Alaska Mosque right there on what is supposedly the Temple Mount. And beyond that, you can see another kind of dull dome um, that is the dome over the Church of the Holy Sepulchre um, off in the distance. Those two domes, just so you are aware as you're looking at these pictures the next time, are the same size. One is just higher and covered in gold, and the other one is kind of muted in the background, which I think says a lot about Christ himself. Uh, but they are the same size. So when you come into the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, there's this great rotunda, and the edicule or the, the chapel, stone chapel that is built around the tomb, and an oculus straight above where light from outside can pour in. But for the great vigil there, pilgrims from all over pack that place, right? Like there's, you know, standing room only, definitely. And uh, you really get to know your neighbor. Um, it does not work well at all with social distancing. And uh, the great patriarch of Jerusalem enters the tomb. And Father Tyler and I do not know how this happens, but somehow new fire is made um, inside the tomb. And it shoots up from this candle and the patriarch passes candles with that flame out a small hole in the side of the chapel and it begins to spread to everyone that has their candles just like it does with us and all saints chapel and the like but a lot faster and to a lot more noise there is cheering and whooping and um klaxons and bells uh the over jerusalem are ringing and uh he comes out and blesses the people and then somebody takes that candle, that flame, and runs out into the streets of Jerusalem because that new fire that represents that Christ is not in the tomb, it is empty, we have seen it, is somehow then taken to Moscow, to the patriarch in Moscow, and to Athens, and to Istanbul, and spreads around the world in the Orthodox Church, from Jerusalem. Like, how incredible is that? Hearing you talk about it, it, it makes me, it makes me want to be in the tomb where it happens. So (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm sitting here for, during your during your beautiful <laughs> speech, going, "I want to be in the tomb where." Oh, okay. I was going to say, but listeners, I promise I will not let Father Tyler rap for us. <laughs> it's not safe. It's not safe for Father Tyler. I will get injured. Um, but you know, it it really is that the light has gone out unto all nations. Yeah, it, literally. Well, uh, first, the the light has gone out. Right. I think this says a lot for us. In in Friday, in the crucifixion, and Holy Saturday, it is like the light has gone out. But all of a sudden, with great power, it has returned. And then the light has gone out. To send all men. send yes. the light. Uh, then- not to tap too far back into our evangelical backgrounds, but there's a call comes ringing or the restless wave, send the light. I mean, uh, to, to the, um, to that point, there is something about that. I mean, even the Eastern church and the Western church often celebrate Easter on different days but still, it is as if that light has just overtaken the world. And looking to our um, lessons the Jesus has taught us, it's like a city on a hill. Mm-hmm. It cannot be hid. Once that light is lit, you don't put it under a bushel. You let it spread and so that everyone may be enlightened. And you get Easter and Pentecost almost in the same moment mm. as the fire erupts out and goes into all parts of the world. Yeah, it's 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 a flashbang. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um and and that's that's the service of light. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um so there's there's the first mark of of the vigil. Um just the lighting of the Paschal candle, and which leads us into the liturgy of the word, which which will be our uh, next episode, our next segment. So as we wrap up episode one of the great vigil of Easter, we thank you for joining us for uh, this part of the BCP and Me podcast. And we'll be back real soon with episode two, where we look at the liturgy of the word for the great vigil of Easter as we continue our celebration for what has been, what is, and what will be again.